12, verse 11. And they overcame him, that is the devil, and his demonic hordes, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of, in the Son of God, who loved me and, and gave himself for me. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us, keeps on cleansing us from every sin. And finally, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have uh, turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Fathers, we uh, begin to uh, share more out of this wonderful book, The Calvary uh, Road, by uh, Roy Hessian. Lord, I pray that it would uh, change and transform our lives, Lord, as we become consumed with the cross, Lord God, and what uh, the cross of Jesus Christ means to us. And Lord, we do thank you for his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, Lord, which has restored us to fellowship with you and also with our fellow man too. And so, Lord, as we begin to uh, examine this topic of the way of fellowship, Lord, I pray that it would just penetrate our hearts, Lord. And I pray that we would learn new things through the uh, word that I will share with your people. And we thank you for being with us, Lord, and anointing this message. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today is uh, Communion Sunday. Now, what I've been doing in the past is I've deviated from the series that I was teaching on at that time and instead focused in on uh, some scripture that God laid on my heart uh, sometime during the previous month. But in this case, I want to continue on our series, The Calvary Road, because of course, what, what does communion uh, all about? It's the celebration of the Lord's death and his burial and resurrection for our sins. And that's what the Calvary Road is all about. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot that we can uh, apply to ourselves. You know, it's the time of self-examination. Communion, remember what I've told you about communion. What, what's the twofold purpose of communion. First of all, it calls to our remembrance the Lord's sacrifice on the cross for our sins. I always try to strike a balance between that. If you do it every Sunday like some groups do, then it just kind of becomes old hat and you don't really think that much about it. On the other hand, you know, uh, I've been a part of churches that have uh, celebrated it only once a year on Easter. And I think that we need to be reminded of the Lord's death on the cross for our sins a lot more than just once a year. Can you say amen to that? So I think once a month just strikes a balance between the two of those. Okay, but the uh, 
purpose of communion is twofold. To call to our remembrance what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. And number two, it's a time of self-examination. In reality, we should be examining ourselves every day. Make sure that we are in a right relationship with God. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. What's that word, remember? Daily. You do it daily. Every day, you're to take up that cross by examining yourself and living the crucified life every day. Okay? But uh, today, we're going to continue on that uh, series, The Calvary Road. And it's based upon the book, The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. I've adopted the theme verse for the series, this is not in the book, uh, Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame the devil and his demonic hordes by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. In that scripture, we see that the foundation of the power of our uh, Christian walk is the cross. That is the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. And not loving our lives to death, that doesn't necessarily mean that we are martyred for the cause of Christ. Though for some of us it might happen. Who knows, you know, what our future lies. The way that uh, uh, it seems like in our country, the Christians are being persecuted more and more each day as this godless form of, uh, uh, you know, their end goal of the extreme left is to transform this into a Marxist society. So we don't know what lies down the pike. Unless this country turns itself around, it might come down to that. And of course that persecution is going on in uh, communist lands and also Muslim lands today. Okay, but for us, it means that we are willing to die to ourselves in, as far as our own self-will. And we say with Jesus, not your will, not my will, but yours be done. Sorry, I turned that around. Not my w will, but yours be done. Or like the Apostle Paul where he says, it is no longer I who lives... But Jesus lives in me. Christ lives in me. Galatians 2.20 Okay, last week we covered that topic, cups running over. And his terminology in that second chapter of his book comes from the last uh, phrase of Psalm 23, verse 5. My cup runs over. So what is David talking about here. He's talking about the believer being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a natural outgrowth of revival. And that's what Cal the Calvary Road is all about. It's about us experiencing revival. It's not just a message that you know, people need to hear in this congregation, but it's a message that people throughout this nation need to hear because we desperately need a revival. 
A revival, brothers and sisters, is going to be the only thing that turns around this country. Okay, now Psalm 23 is known as the shepherd's psalm. It's an outgrowth of what, the way that David, the things that David learned while he was tending sheep for his father out in the middle of the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, shepherd fields and the wilderness and things like that. Okay, so what he learned from being a shepherd and caring for the sheep, he likens it to the Christian walk, the way that God treats each of us. Just before the phrase of my cup runs over, he writes, you anoint my head with oil. Now the shepherd would anoint the head of the sheep because the sheep would be plagued with flying insects that would annoy it. And so the shepherd would anoint oil over the sheep's head and that would keep the flying insects, the pest at bay. So God anoints us with the Holy Spirit. And what does that do? That keeps the annoying uh, uh, pest of the, his demonic, the devil's demonic hordes at bay. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will take care of those anointing spirits, those annoying thoughts that keep popping into our head. Thoughts of worry, thoughts of sin and temptation. All kinds of things. The Holy Spirit takes care of that. And the cup in that last phrase, the, you, my cup uh, overflows, that's referring to the cup of the human heart, which God wants to fill to brimming over with the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that he wants to fill that cup of your heart to brimming over with the Holy Spirit. Not just fill it to the brim, but brimming over, overflowing. And that overflowing, that Holy Spirit spills out to those that are around you, to the world around you. Because this uh, world desperately needs the overflowing life that we can give it. Amen? In those days, they would generally fill their cups with either water or wine. They didn't have too much else that they could uh, put in their cups, maybe uh, milk or something like that. But they would usually fill them up with uh, water or wine. And both of those are, again, symbols of the Holy Spirit. Now this week, we're covering chapter 3 of Hessian's book, which is the way of fellowship. First of all, what do we mean by fellowship? You ever thought about what, what does fellowship really mean? Well, it would help to understand the word translated as fellowship. It's the Greek word known as koinonia. Some of you have never heard that word before, but it's a familiar word to me. My first year of Bible college they encouraged the students to belong to a koinonia group. A koinonia group was a group of about maybe eight to ten students. And then we would gather together, share scriptures, you know, talk about uh, the Lord and the Christian walk. We would sing songs and uh, uh, have a time of prayer. Many times we, you know, it was a Pentecostal, a charismatic 
Bible college, so we would uh, pray in tongues and sing in tongues. We'd just have a really glorious time together. That was koinonia, getting together and fellowshipping together. According to uh, Grace Theological Seminary webpage, I looked it up yesterday, says koinonia describes the unity of the spirit that comes from Christians' shared beliefs, convictions, and behaviors. When those shared values, those three things there, beliefs, convictions, and behaviors, are in place, genuine koinonia, which is biblical fellowship, occurs. This fellowship produces our mutual cooperation in God's worship, God's work, and God's will being done in the world. So koinonia is very, very important. Now a symbol for this fellowship, and another way that koinonia is translated in the New Testament, is communion. So therefore, it's only fitting that we should have this message on Communion Sunday. Can you say amen to that? Okay. The word picture of this fellowship is might be found in Jesus' message to the church at Laodicea. Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, and I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. Has Jesus ever come calling on your the door of your house? No. And you invite him in, and he sit down with him and have a meal, right? Anybody ever had that happen? It's never happened to me. So Jesus means it in a spiritual sense. He is knocking at the door of your heart. And he wants to come in. Now too often we use that as an evangelistic tool. You lead somebody to the Lord and you quote that verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and will uh, open the door, I will come in and you know, it says in the King James, sup, we don't use that word too much anymore, sup with him and he with me, or dine with him. In other words, I will fellowship with him. But you know what that, the context of that, that was talking to the church at Laodicea. One of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Laodicea was the final one he dealt with. And you know what? With all the other churches, he had something that he could commend them about. But he didn't have anything he could commend the people there at Laodicea. Instead, he says, you say that you're rich and full. You have need of nothing. And know not that you are poor and wretched and blind and naked. He's talking about their spiritual lives. They prospered physically but they were in spiritual poverty. And so what he's saying is, you Laodicean believers, so many of you are not fellowshipping with me. I'm knocking at your door. I want you to let me in to your life so we can have fellowship together so that you can grow in the grace of God 
And that's what he is telling each one of us to. He's knocking at our door. He wants to come in and fellowship with you. It's also the reason why we have pot bless every uh, uh, the second Sunday of every month. When I first took over this pastorate, you know, uh, Pastor Sandra and Randy asked me, do you want to continue to have pot bless? And without hesitation, I said yes. Because the pot bless is very important for us to have koinonia together, fellowship together. That's why when we have it, I try to move around to talk to different people, to get to know you. By the way, my door is always open. You know, if ever you're going through trials and tribulation, or you just want to come in and fellowship, you know, come over to the parsonage and uh, we'll sit down, maybe have a meal together. Hallelujah. Have koinonia, have that fellowship together. Now, the classic uh, passage of this fellowship is the one that I quote every communion Sunday. And that's 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps on cleansing us from every sin. So the basis of this fellowship, not only with God, but also with each other, is that we walk in the light. And I'm going to talk more about that in a few minutes. We have to entreat the Lord to have this fellowship with him. Because fellowship with God was broken. How was it broken? Fellowship with God was broken at the fall. Genesis chapter 3. The Lord had told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any uh, tree, the fruit of any tree in the Garden of Eden, but you cannot take, partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, because in the day you partake thereof, you will surely die. Now, they went over and partook of it. So, why did they die? I mean, if they'd have died right there, you know, we wouldn't be here, right? Well, the thing is, you have to re remember what death means in the Bible. Death in the Bible doesn't mean you just cease to exist. Death in the Bible is separation. The Apostle Paul wrote, you were, he wrote to the Ephesian believers, you were dead and your trespasses and sins. So that's how Adam and Eve died. They died in their trespasses and sins. You know, some groups uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they don't understand this. They think that when you die, you cease to exist. Well, you don't cease to exist. It's that you are now separated from God. There's another scripture in, uh, you see the first or second Timothy says that she, and I might as well add he too, she is dead, talking about the person living in sin. She is dead while she yet lives. 
well, if you cease to exist, how can you be dead and yet live? Easy, because you still have physical life, but you have spiritual death. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. So that fellowship with God was broken at the fall. Adam and Eve died in their trespasses and sins. And then fellowship with their fellow men was broken also. And you read about that in the next chapter, chapter 4. What happened in chapter 4? You got the story of Cain, you know, the firstborn of Adam and Eve, and Abel, the secondborn. Cain and Abel had a little bit of a dispute. Actually, the dispute was on Abel, Cain's side. All Abel does was uh, offer a sacrifice that was accepted by God, and Cain did not. So what did Cain do? He persecuted the righteous one. That, that same thing is happening today, right now. The uh, unrighteous people are persecuting those of us that are righteous. Isn't it? Amen? And what happened? Cain wound up killing Abel. So it wasn't just the fellowship between God and man. It was also between man and man also. Hessian writes in page uh, 22 of the Calvary Road, When man fell and chose to make himself rather than God the center of his life. That describes the human condition, doesn't it? We choose to make ourselves the center of our lives instead of God, like it was supposed to be. The effect was not only to put man out of fellowship with God, but also to put him out of fellowship with his fellow man. The fall is simply, we have turned everyone to his own way. That describes the human condition perfectly. So you've got the entire race of humanity and everybody's going their own way. And when you, everybody goes their own way, what happens? They start bumping into each other. They start stepping on each other's toes. Describes what's going on today, doesn't it? The race of fallen humanity. If I want my own way rather than God's, it's quite obvious that I will want my own way rather than the other man's. A man does not assert his independence from God to surrender it to a fellow man if he can help it. And that's, you know, that, that's exactly what these Marxists want, these socialists want. They want to rule over every aspect of our lives. That's what's going on today, brothers and sisters. But in a world in which everyone, each man wants his own way, cannot be but a world in which tensions, barriers, suspicions, misunderstandings, clashes, and conflicts. That's what's going on, right? Now, the effect of the restoration of fellowship. Hessian writes, Now, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross was not only to bring man back into fellowship with God, but also their fellow man. Indeed, it cannot do one without the other. You cannot have fellowship with God and still be in 
separated from your brother. Jesus designed it so that we would be reconciled to him and also to our fellow men. And Hessian, as proof, quotes several verses from uh, 1 John. He, uh, he writes in uh, chapter 2, verse 9, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Verse 14 and 15 of chapter 3. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Verse 15. Anyone who loves a brother or a sister is a murderer. How do you like uh, them apples there? If you hate someone, John says you're a murderer. You've murdered them in your heart. And you know that no murderer has eternal life re residing in him. And finally, chapter 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother and sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they cannot see. I once heard that illustration too. You know, I heard it put this way. Uh, uh, Barry McGuire was quoting somebody else. He, he says, you take the person that you love the least in your, your life. That person that you l like the least, the one that just drives you right up a wall. And you take the maximum amount of love you have for that person. And you know what? That's how much you love Jesus. Because we don't love. Not like God loves. We love everybody, hopefully, because we choose to love them. Not because they're lovable. If you're honest with yourself, you know, if, every, if people knew everything about you, would you say that you are that lovable? I know that I'm not that lovable. There's a lot of parts of my life that really need straightening out. But God loves me anyway. Okay? Brothers and sisters, do you ever say, I hate him. I hate her. Watch yourself. Amen. You should erase that word hate from your vocabulary. Unless you direct it where it really belongs at the devil and the evil that is going on in this world. That should be the only thing that you hate. Amen? Amen? We hate the devil. The devil is leading so many people down the dark path of sin on the road to hell. We hate evil because God hates evil. Okay? So erase that from your vocabulary in as far as directing it toward your fellow man. You don't hate anybody. You don't hate Vladimir Putin or President Xi in China or those ayatollahs over there in Iran. They are not your enemy. They are deceived by the enemy. 
The Apostle Paul wrote, If our gospel be hid, it's hidden to those that are perishing, in whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ should shine on them. They're deceived. You don't hate them. You pray for God's glorious light to shine on their hearts. That perhaps they can be born again. But you don't hate your fellow man. You hate the devil and evil, the evil that's in the world. Hallelujah. Hessian goes on ahead and uh, uh, writes for the basis of fellowship. On what basis can we have real fellowship with God and our brother? Here in 1 John 1, 7 has come afresh to us. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what is meant by light and darkness? Is that light reveals and darkness hides. You know, about a month ago, uh, they had that uh, power outage. You remember that? And I didn't know it was coming down the pike. It happened at 11 o'clock, just about the time that uh, Dolly and I uh, go to bed. And so uh, I was in the bathroom, and then uh, it, it happened. And I opened up the door, and I couldn't get my bearings. You know, normally... They, you know, I, I see pretty well in the dark. In spite of being 71 years old, I still have pretty good night vision. And I could not get my bearings there because the uh, uh, digital clock that I have uh, sitting on uh, the uh, uh, TV table, you know, was not functioning. And I mean, I was just uh, stumbling around. I couldn't find my way anywhere. You know, it took me uh, about a minute or two before I was able to, and, and by then I, I finally figured out that, hey, the power went out and there's no, absolutely no light in this room. So, good illustration there. Dark, light reveals, darkness hides. When anything reproves us, shows us up for who, as we really are, that is light. And then he quotes Ephesians 5.13. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. But whenever we do anything or say anything or don't, don't say anything to hide what we are or what we have done, that is darkness. Trying to hide behind in the darkness continues on here. The, no, the first effect of sin in our lives is to make us try to hide what we really are. Sin made our first parents try, run and try to hide behind the trees of the garden. Right? Now what happened? Right after they sinned, they tried to hide from God. They heard the, the sound of God as he was uh, uh, passing by in the cool of the day. They not only tried to hide from God, but they tried to cover up their personal areas too. That's the effect of sin. First thing that, that happens, if you do something wrong, you want to try to hide it from everybody, right? Sin always involves us in being unreal, pretending, 
duplicity, window dressing, excusing ourselves and blaming others. And we can all do that as much as our, uh, by our silence as we can by doing or saying something. This is what the previous verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it t- calls walking in darkness. Verse 6, for if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. When you walk in darkness, you try to hide everything from people. Hide your the sin in your life. You try to be somebody that you're not. That's walking in darkness. We walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. Hessian points out, what, what, how do you spell sin? S-I-N, right? What's in the middle of sin? I. That's what sin is all about. Putting yourself first and hiding from other people. In contrast to all of this, verse 5 of the chapter says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That is, God is the all-revealing one who shows up every man for who he is or who she is. The only real basis for our fellowship with God and man is to live out in the open with both. And he quotes uh, a man by the name of C.H. Spurgeon. It may be a new name for some of you. C.H. Spurgeon was a very famous preacher that preached in the United Kingdom uh, or England during the second half of the uh, 19th century. He was called the Prince of Preachers, and so he was. I've got about five of uh, books of his sermons in my library. But Spurgeon defines this fellowship with God in one of his sermons as the willingness to know and to be known. As far as God is concerned, this means we are willing to know the whole truth about ourselves. That is, we are open to conviction. And we will bend the neck. We will bow down at the first twinges of conscience. You know the problem with uh, following your conscience? You know what's wrong there? <coughs> Many people have said no to God so often that their conscience no longer bothers them. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and talked about people whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So if you say no to the Lord's conviction, to his reproof towards you when you're doing something wrong, if you keep doing that time and time again, gradually you'll no longer hear that twinge of your conscience anymore. And that's a scary state to be in. Everything he shows us to be sin, we deal with as sin. We will hide nothing or excuse nothing. Everything that the light of God shows up as sin, we can confess. You know, that's right in the context there of 1 John. 
Go down to verse 9. If we confess our sins, everybody say it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And carry it to the, that is the, our sins to the fountain of blood and it is gone. Gone from God's sight and gone from our hearts. Hallelujah. That's what God wants of us. He doesn't want our conscience convicting us as much as he wants us to not do that sin. He wants it banished from our hearts. And that brought another thing to my mind when I was compiling this sermon. And that is honesty. Are you honest with God? You ever think about that? Are you honest with God? I remember uh, Jack Hayford's book. I've got that in my library too. It's called uh, Prayer is Invading the Impossible. And in the opening chapters of that book, he talks about this very thing, honesty with God. And he says that the reason why many people don't get their prayers answered is because they are not honest with God. They have the attitude, well, I got this. I can take care of this uh, uh, problem myself. And prayer becomes kind of just an afterthought to them. And it shouldn't be an afterthought. When we have a problem, the first thing we should do is go to the Lord in prayer. And it's only when people's backs are up against a wall. Maybe they've got an illness, cancer maybe, something like that. Or financial need. They're in an impossible situation. Maybe they've got a wayward son or daughter. Maybe there's a loved one that needs salvation. You can't save them. No matter how hard you try, you cannot save them. Only God can save them. Saving them is not your job. Your job is to uh, preach the gospel to them in a way that they can understand and let the convicting power of the Holy Spirit prick their hearts. Maybe you got some kind of pet sin that you can't get the victory over. And... Maybe you got a dispute with somebody. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit later. And they finally realize they can't handle this situation. Only then are some people willing to get honest with God. But the truth is we need to be honest with God at all times. Can you say amen to that? Only then are they willing to get honest with God and only then can he really intervene and come through on that particular need. You cannot walk in the light unless you first have that honesty with God. And many people's prayers are unanswered because they lack that honesty. You know, Psalm 66, verse 18, you know what it says? If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. If you're harboring some kind of sin in your, your heart, guess what? 
Your prayers don't get any higher than the ceiling here. A lot of people also have a lack of faith. Mark eleven twenty three. For assuredly, Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believe, believes that those things be, <coughs> he says, <coughs> excuse me, will be done, he will have whatever he says. What does that mean? Does it mean that you're going to, you know, throw a literal mountain into the sea? I say, God, I don't like that uh, Viewed at the north end of town, you know, the one with the big F on it. I, I want you, Lord, just to pick it up and throw it into the sea. I don't hear any rumbling out over there. And you know, brothers, I'm, <clears throat> seriously, I don't know of anybody that has actually uh, moved a mountain and thrown it into the sea through prayer. Nobody throughout all church history. So it's obviously Jesus wasn't intending for us to uh, talking about a physical mountain being removed. What that verse means is God specializes in the impossible. Impossible situations. The most impossible for situation uh, for everybody is that God be reconciled to man. You know that? That was the most impossible situation. But God did it anyway when he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross to die for our sins. Micah 7 verse 19, he says, he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You know, you notice right there, that terminology, cast it into the depths of the sea, is the same thing that Jesus was talking about when he was talking about moving mountains. Amen? Corey Ten Boom used to say about this uh, verse, he says, uh, she said, uh, he cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And then you know what he did afterward? He put a little sign up that says, no fishing. Hallelujah. No fishing. That means you don't go fishing either. He says, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And we're not to drag up our past either. It's all under the blood. So my question to you this morning, brothers and sisters, what mountains do you have in your life? Do you have mountains in there? Do you believe that God can move those mountains? Amen. Okay, that's what we need to do. So you speak to your mountain and you tell it to be cast into the sea. And if you have faith and not doubt, God will do it whatever that situation may be. Now the final point here is the fellowship with man. The fellowship promised here is not only with God, but with one another. That involves us walking in the light with our brother too. In any case, we cannot be open with God and be in the dark with our brother at the same time. That means we must be willing to 
to know the truth about ourselves uh, from our brother as we are from God. You know, you can ask your brother, you know, do you see anything in my life that really needs straightening up? That means we are not going to hide our inner selves from those with whom we ought to be in fellowship. We are not going to window dress and put on appearances, nor are we going to whitewash and excuse ourselves. We are going to be honest with ourselves to them. It means, too, that we are not going to cherish any wrong or cherish when he says cherished there I, I think what he's talking about harboring this wrong wrong feelings in our heart to our, to one another that we are first going to claim deliverance from it from God and then put it right with the one concerned and Jesus agreed with this didn't he what did he say in the sermon on the mount Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 and 24 Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If a reconciliation is in store, this is a word of caution here. If a reconciliation is indeed in store, make sure you pray about it ahead of time to make, make sure that you do it in the proper fashion. And also, I might add, in the right spirit. Sometimes I've been reproved by a brother or sister, and it was done in the wrong spirit. And it was hard for me to accept what they had to say, even though they were uh, right. <clears throat> One of the jobs that I worked at when I was uh, teaching English in... Uh, Thailand is I went to uh, Suratani, this pro provincial capital. And there was a man there by the name of David Meyer. And I went in to uh, uh, see, and because David Meyer had an emergency and he was having to go back to the States, you know, his class was open to me. And so he uh, made the turnover to me. And the last day of class, he came up to me and he talked about how he'd uh, moved out of uh, his apartment. And uh, he'd had uh, a run-in with uh, his neighbors, you know, maybe a few weeks before. Saw his neighbors and he decided, well, I'm going to make uh, things right with them. And he uh, went up to them and he said, Pom Apai Kun, which means, I forgive you. Well, his neighbors uh, didn't take that very well. They said, well, wh why are you forgiving us? You're the one that's wrong, you know. <clears throat> We should forgive you. You know, and the dispute started right in again. So he was worse off than he was before. He thought he'd be really uh, spiritual about the thing. But the thing is, see, he was not a Christian. And something like that happens with you. You pray about it ahead of time. And you pray, you know, if I'm at fault in any way, uh, uh, shape or form, with this dispute, I ask that you would show it to me. And then, then I can apologize to them without saying that you, they, uh, uh, I forgive you. Okay? And, and, you know, believe me, brothers and sisters, I've been around. There are very few disputes where exclusively one party was all at fault. 
So, anyway, pray about things. It's good to try to make right if uh, you have a, a dispute with somebody. But do it, pray about it beforehand, and make sure that you do it in the right way. Okay, so, I've talked about walking in the light. Now, the classic examples of walking in the light, if you haven't written these uh, scriptures down, I would urge you to do so. Because this is what we should be doing every day, is walking in the light. And there's those two marvelous scriptures in Psalms that I've shared with you many times. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That is walking in the light, brothers and sisters. And Psalm 19, verses 12 through 14. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant from willful sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. And verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. As we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as we partake of these elements, it says, let a man, verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And, you know, brothers and sisters, I... Uh, you know, scripture, as I was meditating on this just before coming here, I remembered another uh, verse, and I'm going to sh- close with this. And that is First Corinthians, I'm, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, says, Examine yourselves, whether you are in the faith. Prove yourselves. Self-examination. You need to do it Every day, brothers and sisters, but especially during this time. And we're going to go on ahead and kick off that uh, uh, song. You know, as the elements are uh, distributed, uh, Freddie, uh, uh, would you and uh, uh, Sarah come forward now and uh, distribute the elements to everyone? And while we're distributing them, Examine yourself.